your relationships. And we're going to be showing another clip from uh, the original movie Home Alone here in just a moment. But as you will recall, we've been just using some of those incidents in that funny Christmas movie made so many years ago to springboard into uh, some biblical uh, counseling concepts about your relationship that hopefully will be helping you, especially during uh, the stressful uh, Christmas New Year season. And I entitled the message this morning, The Process to Maintaining Good Relationships. As you will recall, we, we talked in our first lesson about evaluating all of your connections. We talked about how not everyone is your friend. Just because you have 900 friends on Facebook does not mean you have 900 friends. All right, just wanting to be sure we've cleared that up. That's why you don't post everything on Facebook. I'll just leave that alone too. Then last week we talked about why people make poor decisions. We talked about how people miss uh, discern or misanalyze their peace. And when they make decisions, not understanding what true peace is, they find themselves oftentimes in a bad situation. And we spent much time dealing with that. And now uh, today I want to deal with the process of maintaining a good relationship. And we're going to show you a clip from Home Alone just to set it up for you. Maybe for those that don't remember or have never seen it, you know, our little fellow Kevin, who's been sort of the, uh, the, the point person of all of our instruction has now been alone and away from his parents for, I think, nearly a week. Uh, he's in trouble and several, on several fronts. Number one, he's just in trouble because his parents aren't there. And secondly, there's some crooks that are wanting to break into his house. And so he's running away from some crooks. He finds himself in front of a church. He goes into this church and he meets a man, uh, a neighborhood gentleman, an older fellow, who has this, this reputation by way of rumor the kids have made up that he's this mean old man, supposedly committed some murder, you know, chopped people up, put them away. And, and the, kids, the kids are scared of him. And he meets this man in church. And they begin to talk about both of their dysfunctional families. Watch the screen overhead. Christmas. May I sit down? That's my granddaughter up there. The little red-haired girl. She's about your age. You know her? No. You live next to me, don't you? You can say hello when you see me. You don't have to be afraid. There's a lot of things going around about me, but none of it's true. Okay? Been a good boy this year? I think so. You swear to it? No. Yeah, I had a feeling. Well, this is the place to be if you're feeling bad about yourself. It is? I think so. Are you feeling bad about yourself? No. I've been kind of a pain lately. I said some things I shouldn't have. I really haven't been too good this year. Yeah. I'm kind of upset about it because I really like my family. 
Even though sometimes I say I don't, sometimes I even think I don't. Do you get that? I think so. How you feel about your family is a complicated thing. Especially with an older brother. Deep down, you always love them. But you can forget that you love them. And you can hurt them and they can hurt you. And that's not just because you're young. You want to know the real reason why I'm here right now? Sure. I came to hear my granddaughter sing. And I can't come and hear her tonight. You have plans? No. I'm not welcome. At church? Oh, you're always welcome at church. I'm not welcome with my son. Years back, before you and your family moved on the block, I had an argument with my son. How old is he? Well, he's grown up. We lost our tempers. And I said I didn't care to see him anymore. He said the same. And we haven't spoken to each other since. If you miss him, why don't you call him? I'm afraid if I call him, he won't talk to me. How do you know? I don't know. I'm just afraid he won't. No offense, but aren't you a little old to be afraid? You can be a little old for a lot of things. You're never too old to be afraid. That's true. I've always been afraid of our basement. It's dark, there's weird stuff down there, and it smells funny, that sort of thing. It's bothered me for years. The basements are like that. Then I made myself go down there to do some laundry, and I found out it's not so bad. All this time I've been worrying about it, but if you turn on the lights, it's no big deal. What's your point? My point is you should call your son. What if he won't talk to me? At least you'll know. Then you can stop worrying about it, and he won't have to be afraid anymore. I don't care how mad I was, I talked to my dad, especially around the holidays. I don't know. Just give it a shot, for your granddaughter anyway. I'm sure she misses you, and the presents. I sent her a check. Wish my grandparents said that. They always send me clothes. Last year I got a sweater with a big burr knitted on it. Oh, that's nice. Not for a guy in the second grade. You can get beat up for wearing something like that. Oh? Yeah. I have a friend who got nailed because there was a rumor he wore dinosaur pajamas. You better run along home where you belong. You think about what I said, all right? Okay. It's nice talking to you. Nice talking to you. you me yeah you and your son we'll see what happens merry christmas merry christmas the reason that i think is humorous is because it reflects probably a lot of the dynamics in our own relationships and we can identify it uh, so easily and quickly when we see it up on the screen like that. But the whole point is, you have two people. You have a young boy who said he hated his family, and now he's reconsidering it. You have an older man who said something to his son that has caused a fracture, and these relationships have broken down, and now the question is, how do they get put back together again? Everybody, at some point, is in a relationship that is going to experience 
a bump. Y'all know what a bump is? Yeah, okay, I just want to make sure. I didn't want you to think it was like the speed bump in your neighborhood going home. It's a, it's a relational speed bump. And the question is, how are you going to handle it? I'll never forget years ago, I was with my pastor at that time in the former Soviet Union. We were in Russia. We were doing lots of meetings in Russia at that time. And uh, there were two American ministers that were there, and they had gotten into some disagreement. It had gotten heated. The relationship was definitely fractured. My pastor was doing the best he knew how in order to put these uh, two fighting pastors, so to speak, relationally back together again. And in the midst of this mediation and this, this talking, I'll never forget what he said. He said, every, hear this, every relationship you have is tested. Every relationship you have, in fact, I'll just put it in the future tense, will be tested. And he said that to them and he finished it up with this. He said, so I guess we'll see what this relationship was made of. I thought there was a lot of wisdom in that. Relationships. Relationships get strained because of things that just take place. We don't plan it. We don't want it. It's not like we designed it. If we could have everything uh, smooth sailing, we would certainly do it that way. But relationships get strained. I want to read to you out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, the Christmas account that will be very familiar to you. But I just want to add a couple of things just you may not have thought of before, but I just want to add a couple of things that are going on in the background of these verses. In Matthew 1, beginning with verse 18, it says, The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And there's one other verse, and guys, if you'll just post it, Proverbs 17, 17. I want you to just get a hold of this, for it says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now, I want to go back here to the Joseph account. And I want you just to think about this. I'm sure you have at some point in your life. I want you to think about Joseph who is in a form of engagement. He's in a betrothal period with his soon-to-be wife, Mary. And uh, she's probably in her teenage years. They married much younger than we do today. Probably in her teenage years. And uh, she bebops it up to you one day and says, Hey, Joseph, I'm pregnant. Now, I don't know about your house. 
but that could put my house in an upheaval. I mean, she's already engaged to another man. She's carrying a baby from God. Now imagine that. I mean, this has never happened before. It has never since happened. And, and, and she says, well, before you get mad at me, Joseph, this is God. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. I just have to say, yeah, right. That's what would be going on in your mind. God did it to me. This is God. Now, Joseph, of course, received revelation through dream uh, concerning what was happening. And, and, and so you, you hand it to him that he was able to, to work through all of that. But just imagine for a moment your parents. And imagine your future in-laws. Imagine, imagine your neighborhood. Just imagine the town. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you know people. You know how people react. You know how people act. You think everybody was just pristine that day and just didn't say a word? Don't you think, even though they didn't have telephones, they didn't have text messaging, they didn't have email, but they were kind of going to the well, getting water, going, did you hear about Mary? I mean, that had to have put incredible stress on a relationship. And yet, Joseph does the right thing in the midst of this confusing and potentially hurtful situation. Joseph does the right thing. And I just don't want us to run through the Christmas story and just make it sort of this beautiful Christmas card where everything was perfect. Let me tell you, your 14-year-old daughter comes in and says she's pregnant and it's God would cause upheaval. It would cause upheaval. And so the question is, when you're faced with circumstances that, that perhaps of, of our, not of your own making, perhaps you face a circumstance that may well be God's doing something, or maybe you're facing a circumstance that's just crazy, out of control, it just, it just happened. How, how do you maintain a relationship when it's a stressful situation? Because relationship is easy when everything's going good. Isn't that true? I mean, if everything's going good or if everything's going your way, relationship's easy. Everybody could write a book. Everybody could go on tour. You could host the seminar. You don't know what your relationship is built on until the heat gets put to it. See, that's when you figure out where relationship is. It's when heat comes to it. And I've discovered that relationships are not held together by sincerity and love alone. I just hear this, you know, sometimes I'll premaritally uh, counsel young people all through the ages and we'll talk about all sorts of things and, and maybe one of the questions will come up, you know, what do you do, how do you handle a situation maybe like this? And I have heard this, well, love will see us through. Yeah, you're chuckling right now because when you're in that moment, love ain't in the room. So whether it's your marriage, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a church connection, whether it's your family. I mean, relationships, I'm just here to say this out loud. Relationships aren't held together by sincerity and love alone. I believe they're held together by certain covenantal agreements that people are committed to hold and to walk through. Someday you won't feel like that relationship. Some days you won't like that relationship. Some days you'll want to shoot that relationship. You're following me. 
So there has to be some process, some way to begin to navigate relational challenges and stresses. One of the most famous verses that is used by way of dealing with conflict in relationship is found in Matthew 18. I do want to read this. Uh, Matthew 18, beginning with verse 15, it says this. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Verse 16. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church... Let him be to you, listen, like a heathen and a tax collector. Isn't that interesting? Very, very interesting. Now, Matthew 18 is thrown out, and I've done it as well, as the standard of conflict resolution, and indeed it is. But I think there are some things in the shadows of those verses that are very helpful that oftentimes we don't make the connection with. You see, a true relationship... Now, when I talk and use the term relationship, hear me now. Some of you are applying it, I'm sure, instantly to your marriages. Some of you are applying it to your friendships. Some may be applying it to, again, your church connections, your co-workers, your next-door neighbors. When I talk about relationship, I'm talking about all of these things and how they should be handled within uh, whatever relational forum you are a part of at this particular moment. And I think there's some very helpful things that you can walk through, and if you'll just commit yourself to doing these things, you'll find out what the relationship was made of and and you may gain a brother even through a stressful time. A true relationship that is God-honoring will exist according to some godly standards and ethics. A relationship has an ethic. Now, now you got to hear this. Most of us do relationship on the fly. We just do relationship. We don't even think about relationship. We just get up. We're married. We do the family thing. We go to work. We do the friend thing. We come to church. We do the church friend thing. And we aren't even thinking about how this relationship is working. It's an amazing thing. As important as relationships are to most of us, it is amazing how little we think about them. We just sort of do it until there's an offense or there's a problem. Then it's massive. Now, now here's the problem. It's not that the offense may not be massive. The problem is, is that you've not done any work before you get to the offense part. And, and, And the offense part is difficult to handle because you've not understood that there is an ethic within a relationship. There is a way that you do relationship. There are ethics. And we say these ethics are covenantal and supposedly when they're between believers, especially when it's in a marriage or a family, there is an ethic with which we deal with our stressful or conflicting circumstances. And we are dysfunctional in Christianity and in church life because we refuse to adhere to some basic ethics of relationship. Now, I'm telling you, there was a day in the world you could shake your hand and make a deal with your neighbor And it was binding because there was an ethic in that relationship. You made a deal. Is it a deal? You'd put out your hand, you'd shake hands, and it wouldn't matter. If you said, I made a deal on a car, this is the amount we're going to 
pay for it. You stuck out your hand. You, you, you shake hands. You tell them I'm coming in three days to get the car. Maybe you put down a deposit as well. There, there could be all sorts of things that happen, but that thing is bound by an ethic of a handshake. And there was a day when you could count on it. Three days later, you'd come back and that car you purchased would still be there. Folks, I'm telling you that now the day has come. If they get a, a more money, the car's gone. And you can say, what about the handshake? Well, it just it doesn't mean anything anymore because there's no more ethics in our relationship. So I want to just share some things with you and I want to get to it quickly. I'm going to move through this quickly. Each one of these could probably be, you know, there's going to be seven things I'm going to mention. It could probably be a seven week sermon series. And obviously we don't have seven weeks here this morning, but it's enough. I think that'll get you started that if you're wanting to do relationship right, it'll at least help you uh, get the right direction. All right. An ethic. How does an ethic work within a relationship? Seven step process to maintaining a good relationship. This is number one. Number one is this, the forgiveness principle. I will choose to walk in forgiveness and not easily take up an offense. That's where, that's where our, all of our lives should start. I choose to walk in forgiveness and not easily take up an offense. Acts twenty four sixteen. guys, post that. It says this, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. This is really important because you see, you can't keep people from acting certain ways that can offend. If you try to keep the world from offending you, that's called control. You can't control the world. The world will do, family will do. Marriages will do. Church will do. All sorts of things will happen that can potentially bring offense to you. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's what is. And the key to this principle is that offenses, Jesus said, will come. And you've got to say to yourself right now, I'm going to be offended in life. Multiple times in all likelihood. Some of you didn't get through this week without being offended. In fact, offense is a weekly happening in your life. But you need to understand that you choose to walk in forgiveness and not easily, not easily take up an offense. And here's the question. This is the first question. In a stressful situation, can you just forgive and go on? Can you just forgive and go on? You see, any relationship, and I've learned this, you know, we've been married 30 years. I can... I'm a, I'm a hard-headed man, and my wife has a strength. She's a strong woman, and I guarantee you we have bumped heads in 30 years. And, you know, there are times when you're trying to work it out, figure it out. There are times she's yielded. There are times I've yielded. And there have been moments neither of us have yielded. We say, what do you do? There are moments you just say, you know, we're just going to go on. We're going to forgive and go on. Any relationship is going to have to learn the phrase, get over it. I'm just telling you, a lot of life is lived just at this level. You got you to gotta just be, you know, the, per, the proverbial uh, uh, statement, you know, water on a duck's back. There, there's some truth to that. You got to learn to not be easily offended. You got to let it roll off. If you're a hypersensitive person, I'll just say it. A hi- hypersensitive people always have rocky relationships. 
hypersensitive people will forever have rocky relationships. Why? It's because you're easily offended. And I will assure you that whether it's in your life, your church life, this church life, marriage life, you are probably going to have some buttons in you pushed if you're a highly sensitive person. Now, I'm not trying to remake you into something else. I'm just trying to help you understand that forgiveness is a choice on your part. Whether the other person, listen, you say, well, I'll forgive. All they have to do is ask for it. No, 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 no. They may never ask for it. You still have to forgive. Whether they say forgive me or not, it's always better, or at least it feels at times better, if they ask for forgiveness, but that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture tells us that we are to forgive. Forgive. And whether they understand it, whether they own up to it, because the issue isn't letting them off the hook. In fact, next week I may talk more about forgiveness. I haven't quite got the mind of God on this one yet. But, but here's the point. The point is forgiveness isn't for them, it's for you. It, it's you getting the bitterness out. It's you getting... Getting the, 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 the stress and the, the consuming thoughts off your life. You just forgive. Just let it go. And that's where a lot of relationship stresses can be solved is just at point one. Can you just forgive and let it go? Now, listen, I understand if it's habitual, if you've got chronic issues, then sometimes those have to be dealt with and talked out and confronted. I get that. All right. We will get to those points. But a lot of things in life, folks, just let it go. Let it go. It's not that big a deal. Number two. The first word principle. The first word principle. The first word principle is this. You are going to be the first person to hear about any problem I have with you. I'm talking about maintaining a good relationship. You are going to be the first person to hear about any problem I have with you. Now, why is where is that? Matthew 18, 15. Post that again, guys. William Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell everybody. Except him. What does it say? Go and tell him his fault between you and him. If he hears you, you've gained a brother. Now, listen, this is Bible here. This is Bible. Bible really works. Because here's what we do relationally, and we're really adept at this because we'll call everybody out getting advice. I'm getting wisdom. So we call 50 people getting wisdom on this subject. Well, here's the question. The question is this. Post it. Question. Have you spoken to anyone else about this offense? You see, it's not fair in a relationship that everyone else gets to hear about a problem before the person it's about hears the problem. That's just not fair. You aren't reconciling. In fact, I believe you're defiling. In fact, let's just say you fix the problem. Let's just say this is how you went about doing it. You, you fix this problem that you had with somebody, but you didn't deal with them first. You, you maybe spoke to a lot of people along the way. And, 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 and you spoke to all these people about the problem. You got everybody's advice. And you fixed it with that person you had an issue with. Now, here's my question. Do you have enough integrity now to go call everybody you called on the phone and tell them that you fixed the problem? And you tell them what your part may have been wrong in that. That's integrity in a relationship. Well, why not? You decided you wanted to let everyone know. Why don't you let everyone know what the outcome was? 
You see, when you, when you live under an integral relationship, you, you're going to begin to understand that, you know what, I don't, I don't want to have to backpedal and clean up whatever I said to someone else. It may be in a fit of anger or rage. That happens in a marriage. My wife and I, we've learned this, and, and, and you know, I don't remember how. I remember we learned it on our own. But sometimes when a couple gets in a fuss, there's tendencies both with the husband and the wife to call up mama or daddy. And let them know what that evil devil spouse has been doing in my life. Can you believe it? And, you'll, and, and there's a reason we will do that. We do that because we know we will have an instant ally in all of it. Well, and, and you know, maybe it's your mama or it could be your daddy. But they'll, oh, again, I knew you shouldn't have married him in the first place. Come on now, some of you know what I'm talking about here. I knew it wasn't God, but you just wanted to do it. I'm just telling you. And, and you go, I know, Mom, I didn't listen to you. Probably should have listened to you. And I just can't believe you did this. And, and you're just going back and forth. And you're just getting to talk it all out. And you're feeling good. And then, and then you go back home. And, and, and your husband, let's just say it's, it's the wife was visiting with Mom. And, and the husband brings in the flowers. And he says, I was wrong, baby. I, I was wrong. And I shouldn't have done that. And will you forgive me? And what can I do to make it right? And, and all of a sudden your heart melts and, and, and you go, Oh, you're right. I probably did some things wrong too. Oh, come here. And you, just, and you know, you have that moment, but your mom still hates him. And so, so you go to Thanksgiving dinner and mama don't want to serve him the leg. She wants to hit him with the turkey leg. Why is that? Because you didn't deal with it in that relationship integrally first. Now, that's not to say there isn't a moment that these things don't get shared. But listen to me. Usually, moms and dads are not the ones who qualify for counselors in your situation. Not usually. They, they are a tad biased. Are you following me? Come on, I'm going to help you here. Let's just say, for instance, let me just give you some examples. I've, we've had this happen before. Um, people have called me on the phone and said, Pastor, I got a problem with... Well, let me just pick one of our leaders out here. Who would be a good one to pick on? Robert. All right, Robert, you had your hand. But I got a problem with Robert Platt. And they'll go, Robert this, Robert that, Robert, Robert, Robert. And, and, and I'm going to help you here. What, what, is, what, what do you do with that? I'll tell you what I do with it. One of two ways. This is how I would say to that person on the phone. You got two ways you can deal with this. Number one, let it go. It may not be that big a deal. Or number two, go to them and work it out. Now, I'm mature enough that I'm not going to be defiled over what you just said. In fact, I've learned through the years that you never believe anything until you hear the whole story don't you believe what someone says because i'm not saying they're lying but they could be omitting some important facts are you following me this is what you need to do you don't now i'm telling you don't you don't need to go anywhere further you're either going to let it go or you're going to go visit with them and you know what if you don't get it settled then guess what then you too can come see me since you brought me into it and, and maybe we will be able to uh, 
to figure this out. Because if you choose not to handle it this way, listen, this is integrity and relationship, then you have lied about your covenant that you said you had being church members with one another. You've lied. You've lied. Okay? The first word principle. You'll be the first person to hear about any problem I have with you. Number three, the faithfulness principle. The faithfulness principle. I will not allow any problem to override the principles I say I live by. Proverbs 27.6. What does that say, guys? 27.6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That's a great verse because what's that saying is, is that there are some people who are blowing smoke up your skirt that aren't your friend. They're kissing you, kissing up to you, telling you everything you want to hear, and they ain't your friend. In fact, the best friend you have is the one that sat you down and looked you eye to eye and said, listen, I'm going to share some things with you. It ain't going to be fun. I don't like doing it either, but it's time you started hearing some things. I will not allow any problem to override the principles I say I live by. And the question is this, is the problem we are facing a threat to our relationship? This is the moment, I believe, you begin to define if you're dealing with friends or, I hate to say it, enemies. Because you understand as you go through the Matthew 18 principle, if it's not worked out, Jesus said, if it can't be worked out this way, then treat them as a heathen or a tax collector. That's Jesus. In other words, what Jesus said was this, if they aren't willing to work on this relationship, then, then the love of God isn't in their heart. Now that's significant, isn't it? Works that way, and I'm telling you, whatever relationship, friendships, covenant relationships, marriages, if there's a marriage partner that says, I won't go to counseling to help get this fixed, then you're not born again. It's just that simple. Because the love of God isn't in your heart. Because that covenant would override, it's a principle that would override whatever feeling you have at the moment. A friend will continue, as you would continue, to... to unravel the problem i mean i mean we want the problem fixed you'll do it in a word-centered christ-honoring way because the relationship is important now i'll just share this if you you all know this but i'll just say the obvious relationship is messy relationship is messy not everyone is wired real well some of you are wired real well for relationship most of the women normally have a, sort of an intuitive god design thing for relationship. Most of the men are dumb as doornails. We have to work really hard at it. Not every man and not every woman. I'm just giving just generalizations. But listen, relationship is where you and I begin to mature in the things of God. I believe this. If you want to mature in the things of God, it will happen within the context of relationship. And this has been our problem in relationship, that the minute somebody is hurt... In, in the stress or the offense or whatever it may be, they quit playing by the rules. You're hurt and you say to yourself, I hurt, therefore the rules are suspended. Because I hurt. I understand that. When we're hurt, we want to lash out. We want to just yell. That The Bible says you can be angry, but sin not. I'm not saying you won't be mad. But that's, this is the point we all want to just get carnal because I'm hurt. I'm wounded. And so we suspend the rules because of how we're feeling. And they quit playing by the rules. And the minute you quit playing by the rules, 
you see, the relationship is forfeited because it can't be fixed then because you're cheating or they're cheating. Are you following me? They're cheating. Now you say, well, you don't understand what I've been through the years. I, I, I understand when you, when you have long-term chronic issues that have not been solved and and now all of a sudden you're listening to this and, and you're saying, okay, where do I go from here? Where you go from here is you sit down with someone and say, I want this relationship to work. I value it. Let's see if we can't make it happen according to the rules. Amen. Number four, the friendship principle. Now you're seeing why I could spend a week on each one of these. The friendship principle. It is my responsibility to approach you if I need your help or if I have a problem. It is my responsibility to approach you if I need your help or if I have a problem. What does it say? Proverbs 18, 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Question. Question. Are you offended that I did not recognize you had a problem? Are you offended that I did not recognize you had a problem? We can't expect those we have a relationship with to have a degree in body language interpretation. I'm amazed at how many people want pastor to get a word of knowledge on their issue because they got an issue and they're waiting for God to give me a word of knowledge so I can come and address it in their life. Can I just share this with you? And I never had one yet. Because you see, that's not how it works. God doesn't drop. Well, he ought to know. If he'd look at my face, he could tell something wasn't right. Well, I don't know that's true at all. I've seen your face for years now. I don't know. Come on. You're going to make me get a degree in your body language. You ever, you, come on. Everybody here, is it not true? Everybody has had somebody in their life that makes them guess what's wrong with them. You walk in the room and you'll see him sitting there. And you'll go, what's wrong with you? Nothing. Well, I know something's wrong with you. I can, I can tell something's wrong. No, nothing wrong with me. You, you, and, I'm helping. Biblically, it's not my job to play the 20-question game. Don't do that. Wives, don't do that to your husbands. Husbands, don't do that to your wives. Come on, don't do that, friends, with one another. Guess, guess what it is. You're going to have to... You're going to have to get your wild horses and chains out. That's how you're going to drag it out of me. It's like, you, you know what that really is? That's our way of, of we think, uh, exacting some form of revenge. Ain't nothing wrong with me. Don't touch me. Well, what's wrong with you? Nothing wrong with me. You were half awake, you'd know what was going on. It is your responsibility to approach the person you have a problem with. Matthew 18 again, right? You're following me. All right, here we go. I'm glad we're laughing. At least some of us are laughing. Some of you, I keep looking, some of you aren't laughing. <laughs> Number five, the four-day principle. Now, I, 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 I'm going to be honest with you. I've not... I can't go to a verse per se, but I, I believe this is, this is in the shadows 
of Matthew 18, the four-day principle. I will not allow any problem I have with you to go unresolved for more than four days. And I want to tell you why. Either God will resurrect something on the third day or it begins to stink on the fourth day. That's kind of my precept in the background. All right? Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 says this. Pursue peace. What's that word? Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Wow. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. And what does this passage mean? Well, it, it means this. It, it means that if you don't resolve the bitterness that may be in you over whatever offense took place, that not, it will not only cause your attitude to be stinky, but it will stinketh up the whole place. Question. How long have you been troubled about this problem? How long have you been troubled about it? Here's what I think. I think since there are spoilage dates on food, and since there's statute of limitations on certain crimes, and since there are expiration dates on coupons, and since there are grace periods on loans, I think there ought to be a statute of limitation on offense. I really believe that. That if you have an offense, you've got four days to deal with it. And if you don't deal with it, in four days, then we go back to number one. Get over it. That's why, really, I believe that. Because if you harbor offense over four days, then what happens is, is the sin is no longer theirs, but it becomes yours. Because you're not wanting to work it out. You're wanting to hold it. You like the grudge. You like what it feels like to alienate them. You, you like these things four days. So, so I, I guess God's saying, okay, I'll give you a four-day grudge period. You, you, can, you can live with your grudge four days, but after that, then you're in sin. Now, I know it doesn't exactly say that. That's my loose interpretation. But the, but the point being is this, that you can't let these things go on and on and on. I've had folks, no joke, through the years that have, that have called me or connected with me and said, and, and even started it by saying, you probably don't remember this. <laughs> well, just you saying that just set the tone because you're right. I didn't remember it 24 hours after it happened. But, but three years ago, you said in the foyer this word and you had this look on your face. And, and it hurt me. And you've carried this for three years. Yeah, been praying about it. <laughs> oh, don't you always love the trump card, being spiritual? No, you're not. You were harboring it. I'd be willing to bet that you finally got to me because you finally ran into somebody that told you to get it to me. You'd probably been talking to everybody on this thing. But that happens, it happens again in every relationship. Every connection, we do these things. The four-day principle. Doesn't that make sense? Just deal with it in four. If you're offended, why, why do you want to carry it? Either get, let go of it or in four days. I got four days. To, if it's mustering up the courage, then muster up the courage. If it's, if it's you know, if it's, if it's you don't know, if it's at big and you really do want to pray about 
whether this is just something it's time to just let it go. Okay, I just would suggest to you four days. Outside of four days, I, I, my personal feeling is, is that you're, you, you've gone beyond the statute of limitations. This is, I don't know that I will do this, but I would like to do this. Is that when I, when I get those moments, and, and I get less of them because I think I'm actually getting better at relationship, but it's not beyond the realm of possibility. I could still offend somebody. <laughs> Why are you laughing? That wasn't meant to be a joke. But, but this is what I'd like to start doing. I'd like to start doing, how long have you been carrying this? And if they say, well, about a month, I'll say, eh. You're in the let go period. Let it go. Let it go. Amen. Number six. Aren't you enjoying this? Okay, some of you still aren't laughing. We'll find something you'll laugh over there. The frustration principle. When all efforts to apply these precepts fail to the point of frustration, we will appeal to a higher authority for the sake of the relationship. Now, that was what was in Matthew 18, correct? Because if, if going to them alone doesn't solve it, then it says that you can go, it says to, to bring two or three others. Now, the, the key is it'd be wise to bring two or three that are, that are probably have an ability to mediate this in an appropriate, fair manner. But um, bring, bring some more. Bring, bring an authority into this. Matthew eighteen sixteen. what does that say? It says, oh, well, if you will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And listen, it's not just to beat up on somebody, but a lot of times I think it says two or three is, is because, if, especially in a marriage relationship, you have, sometimes you have people that can come into the situation and, and, and say to John and Jane, let's just say it's John Doe and Jane Doe, Say to John and Jane, listen, John, you know, sometimes you are a little like that. And, and, but Jane, I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes you a little. And then all of a sudden you're back under the four-day principle because you're offended at the one that just said. Uh... <laughs> Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, obey those who rule over you, be submitted to them, for they watch out for your souls. We don't want, listen, let me just tell you, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I do not sit up late at night. Well, I did last night because I wasn't feeling real well. But I don't sit up late at night and I I put people's faces before me and I say to myself, how can I mess them up? How can I really aggravate them? What could I do just to really tee them off? I don't do that. You think, I mean, really? Do you really think I do that? Well, of course, everybody goes, well, I don't, I don't think you do that. Well, then it must be that, that for me, if there's an offense that was, that was loose, then I must have stumbled into it or tripped into it. It certainly wasn't intentional because I will assure you, if I intend to offend you, you will never forget it. I'll assure you that one will not be ambiguous in your life. But I don't do that. I don't do that, all right? But, but it's what it says. We watch out for your souls. We really want the best for you. We want God's best in your life. I, you may not believe that, but we want God's best in your life. It serves you. It serves God. It does not serve this church any purpose for you to have a fractured soul. We want you to do well as those who must give an account. So for me, I understand that I'm going to stand before God one day and He's going to go down the membership role. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Okay? 
the question. Is there someone who has the authority? Question, is there someone who has the ability or the authority to mediate the dispute with binding authority? See, if people, let's just say now, we've already talked about people don't play by the rules. So if people aren't playing by the rules in the relationship, then what happens is, is that you have to bring you have to bring the issue into a forum by which there's some form of mediation to where the person mediating can say, be the umpire and throw the flag and say foul, technical. There's someone there that can begin to say that that's not playing by the rules. And see, this is when it gets hard because in America, we eject the minute, anytime something comes upon us that begins to constrict our autonomy and restrict our individualism and restrict what I want when I want it, which is sin. Whenever that comes to bear in America, it's easy. We can jettison from that. And that's what's hard is because we've got, we've got millions of people playing relationship games by their own rules. They're making up their own, they're making rules up as they go along. They made up all sorts of rules. I watch relationships that are so dysfunctional because, let's just say, the man has created his own set of rules from another universe. The woman is passive and doesn't have the inner fortitude or tenacity to challenge his rules. And so they live in this dysfunctional quagmire. They think it's a great relationship. He comes home. He treats her bad. He walks all over her. She has no say. She has no input. She's not affirmed. She's not lifted up. He just walks in like the king, but he's created his own rules. She says nothing. They think they have this great relationship. They just don't know they're sick. And I'll guarantee if you could get him in a corner, especially the woman, let's say, and just say, tell me the truth. You probably hear more than you'd care to. See, if people aren't playing by the rules, you've got to have a referee to be the final authority. This isn't to fear one of the parties into subjection, but it's to keep the process accountable. If you play, think about playing guys, professional sports, but do it without referees. Do you know how often in the NFL this happens? College, too. I was watching football. And you know how often the receiver will go down and they'll make a catch? And it will look like they caught it. And they'll stand up and they'll, you know, they'll do the whole, they made the catch. And then they do the instant replay. And they'll see that it hit the ground. And he actually caught it quick off the ground. And because of the instant replay and the ref that's in the box, they're able to call that incomplete. Do you know what would happen if we played without referees? That, you know what would happen. We'll just, we'll just play everybody on their honor. Yeah, right. Ain't nobody going to play on their honor. If you're the batter or you're the catcher. Yeah, let's let the catcher call balls and strikes. You're laughing, but that's exactly how we play the game of life. We make up our own rules. We have no referees. Nobody can throw a flag in our situation. Nobody can call a technical. And we wonder why we're dysfunctional. All right? Because when you're in an accountable situation, this is what happens. When you come in and you're in an accountable situation, what, what would happen is, for instance, just giving you an example, let's just say, and I'm not looking for counseling, by the way, I'm just using this, but you were to come to me and just say, okay, pastor, we've gonna, I'll say, have you done 
Have you done one, two, three, four, and five of these, let's say, these steps? Have you tried all these things, and now you're finally to me? And you look and you say, well, no, we really didn't. We didn't do, it was just, you know, it was an odd day, so we skipped all the odd numbers, and, and we didn't do that because we really didn't feel like we had to. And the Lord spoke to me, and the Lord spoke to me and said that I could skip number one and go straight to number three. You know, what, you know what a referee does? A referee goes, get out of here and do one through five and come back and see me. Now, hear me. If I were to do that, people would be back under the four-day rule again. I can't believe that's what he did. Number seven. Finally, the covenant principle. When all is said and done, I will not forsake my covenant commitments to my spouse, my family, my pastors, or my local body. Now I understand, and I want you to hear me carefully, I understand that everybody in this room is at a different place in their journey. And, and, and we respect that, and I respect that. I understand some are here kicking the tires. You're wondering if this is where you want to go to church long term. You may be visiting, trying to see what God has for you. We understand those things and we affirm those things. But there comes a moment when you plant. There comes a moment when you say, this is where I'm connecting. This is where I'm making covenant. It's like, it's like dating. You can't date forever. There comes a moment you just you say, you know. And again, this is the problem with our world. We date with benefits, we think. We want covenant relationship without the covenant commitment. We do that with church too. And, and here's the deal. Nobody forces. A covenant is always a choice. Covenant isn't something that you are forced into. Nobody forced you, at least we don't think, forced you like to get married. Uh, you may have felt pressure because of certain things, but, but truth of the matter is you still could have ejected. Listen to me. There comes a moment especially in a covenant. And again, we've been married 30 years. Some of you have been married much longer than our 30 years. But I'll just tell you this. There are days that I didn't know it was going to get fixed. And I'm sure if my wife came up here, she would look at you and say that she wasn't sure I was going to get fixed. And, and, and there comes a moment when it seems like it's breaking down and you're just, you're just at your wits end. And, and how do you deal with it? There comes a moment you say we're in covenant and somehow, some way, we are here together. Together. It may mean I yield. It may mean she yields. All, but it means this, that the covenant is more important than anything else. Ruth 1, 16 and 17. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Verse 17. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. The question, am I really in this for better or worse, for richer or poor, good times and bad, until I die or scriptural precept releases me? That's covenant. Now hear me now, not everybody, not everybody has a covenant in this room with me or this local church. I recognize that. If you're married, you have a covenant. You have a covenant in your marriage relationship. Some of you do have a covenant and said you had a covenant with me in this local church. So this is a choice. This isn't forced. It's, It's a choice. But when you choose, then the integrity of the relationship is such 
that you walk that out. The saddest part about church life in America is that we, we have begun to treat our church connections like our grocery store connections. One bad artichoke and we're at another store. One bad experience in Target and we're at Walmart. One negative experience at Belk and we go to Dillard's. That's how we've come to church life. We don't, we don't learn anything that way. And I will assure you, you will not learn anything relationally unless there comes a moment when you say, listen, and, and I say this as a joke and I say this in reality. If you've been in a local church for more than a week, you've had a bad experience. You know why? It's because there's a lot of imperfect people in here. And there's an imperfect person preaching to you this morning. We're pursuing God, yes. We're doing our best to walk righteously, yes. We're intentionalizing our lives to succeed in Him, yes. But there will be some bad experiences along the way. And that's what I had to learn. I had to personally learn that, not just in marriage, of course, that's where everybody begins to learn this, but I had to learn that about Charleston, South Carolina. I hear pastors all the time, I had a bad experience at that church, so I'm going, listen, you can't be an overcomer unless you got something to overcome. You can't be more than a conqueror unless there's something in front of you that has to be conquered. You cannot be victorious unless there's the possibility of losing. So these words are meaningless unless you're in the middle of a stressful, difficult situation and you purpose under God and His Word that you will press through to prevail. That doesn't mean you always win or get your way. But that if the relationship is maintained, then the kingdom wins. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not even about our feelings. It's about the kingdom. Because Jesus said, what would they know? The world would know us because they would know us by our love. By our love. So I hope, I hope you begin to practice. I, I hope the journey this morning was at least a little fun. But there's going to be a moment that the fun, the fun's gone. And the heat's on. Will you stand with me?